every once in a while I go through a, a fiction phase where I, I read some fiction. Typically I'm not a fiction reader, but every once in a while I have a season where I go through through a, a series of fiction books. And uh, at the start of COVID, I hit one of those seasons. And I read two books. I want to show them to you. Here are the two books I read. I read All the Light We Cannot See. I don't know, maybe some of you have heard of this book. It was even made into a movie. And then The Ragged Edge of Night. Um, the covers look very similar. Even the design looks similar. They actually have very similar plots as well. They're set in World War II. They're set in the context of a really big story. It's World War II, dealing with German occupation. Both stories deal with the Nazis occupying a particular part of Europe and what it looks like then to live in that context. It's a big story. It's a big story of World War II and Nazi occupation. But that's not what makes the books good. What makes the books good is that there's a different story going on underneath the big story. And one, there's the story of a dad who is faithful to his blind daughter. And then the other, there's the story of faithfulness of a stepdad to his new family and stepchildren. Big story, World War II, Nazi occupation, but that different story, a story of faithfulness of a stepdad to his new family and of a dad with his blind daughter. Those are what make the books. But it's the big story you can get caught up in. If you go to school and you want to be a professional historian, you're not learning about the different stories under the radar. You're learning about the big stories. Every day we get hit with headlines. And what are they? They're the big stories. The big breaking news. But often there's a different story. I think Christmas is fundamentally a different story. I think in a world like ours where we are constantly hit with the big news, the big stories, the important breaking narratives, there's often a different story. God's writing something different behind the scenes. That's really what I think Christmas is, particularly this year in 2020. There's a different story. So for four weeks, we're going to walk through a series we're calling A Different Story. And we're going to take the Gospel of Luke and we're going to take a look at the four scenes that make up the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to note not only the big story, but God's different story. I think it will teach us something about life today at the end of 2020. Something we can do something with in ordinary life. So we pick up with the beginning of that story, of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1. We pick up with verse 26. Verse 26, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin, virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will, continue, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. A lot going on in that story. There's a lot going on right here. The thing that jumps out is how big this vision really is. If we just noted, there are things like the Son of God, a throne. There's a king who's going to reign forever. There's a kingdom everlasting. That's a really big vision right out the gate in the story. But the Jews were not, were not unaware of big visions. They are a people called, way back in the time of Abraham, a people who would bless the whole world through one man. That's a big vision. This is a people founded on a big vision. And throughout their history, this big God is showing up, revealing Himself with big visions. So there's really nothing uncommon here that God would show up and give a big vision to His people. That story is a story the Jews have been living for a very long time. What strikes me is that God writes the different story in location. Luke makes sure to record where all of this happens. He puts it in Luke 1.26. We'll just take a, take a review here. 126, remember where the vision takes place. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. There's the different story. For the Jews, a big vision was nothing new. They are a people founded on big visions. What's interesting is that the big vision is coming in a place where very few people would go or live or have anything to do with. You see... The Jews had been well trained over the last thousand years before this vision to Mary that where God dwells and where God will show up is in Zion. It's in Jerusalem. That's where God's going to do the big stuff. If there is going to be a big story, it's going to be in Jerusalem. It will be in Zion. And the Jews were well trained in this. Can you imagine Mary hearing those scriptures over and over again in synagogue? That they worship the God of Israel, the God who dwells in Zion. I just want to pick one, just one psalm. All over the book of Psalms are their declarations of praise to the God who dwells in Zion. I just want to pick one, just one representative psalm. Psalm 132, verses 13 through 14. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His dwelling, saying, This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. That's where this God's going to bring big visions. It's going to be in Jerusalem. And year after year, Mary and her family would go to synagogue there in Galilee hearing these psalms, hearing the promises of God, hoping for the day when God would return to Zion. And in Mary's day, 
the big story, the thing hot off the press for many years, is that in Zion dwelled an oppressor, an enemy. The Romans were occupying the land. And so the people hoped one day God would return. He would come to Jerusalem and He would kick out the enemies. All of it happening in Jerusalem. Now, when God's people were removed from the land long ago, many hundred years before, the prophets would promise God would do a new work. And where would He do this new big work? Where would this new big story happen? It would happen in Jerusalem. They'd be brought back from that foreign land to come dwell where God's presence lived. It, he would come back. They would return to Zion. Let's just take a few. Just take a few of the big promises. These are promises echoing in the ears of Mary and many of her relatives as they go to synagogue week after week. Pick up Isaiah 4, 2-5. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. The fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. Who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there. A cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and a shade from the heat of the day. A refuge and a hiding place from the storm and rain. For a people living, for a people living in exile, these were glad and joyous promises. That one day they were going back. One day the temple would be rebuilt. And one day God would return His people to His dwelling place. It would be in Zion. If there was a big story that would be written, it would be in Jerusalem. That's where big visions happen. Here's one, Joel 3. Another big, another big promise. Then you will know that I, the Lord, your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. That was a glad promise hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. Can you imagine in synagogue in Galilee as Mary and her relatives heard the prophets, heard this scripture that one day no more foreigners would invade. Thinking that one day Rome would be removed, Messiah would come, and Jerusalem would be the light of the world. If there was a big story to be written, it was coming to Jerusalem. Then, one more, Zechariah 8, 2-3, a big chapter of prophecy. This whole book riddled with promises for the future. Here's a big one. Verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the Holy Mountain. All the promises, all the hope, were concentrated in this one place. That's the story. If you had a hope, if you had the, if you had the promise that God was writing a big story, one day the enemy removed, it was happening in His holy city. It was happening where the God of Israel dwelled. It's where all the promises would be fulfilled. 
But here's what happens. In the middle of all the promises, in the middle of all the hope, in the, in the, in the context of the big story, that a vision would come to Jerusalem. Luke one twenty six pops up on the scene. And God shows up with a big vision in Nazareth. In Galilee. Not even in the outskirts of Jerusalem. It's the land of the Gentiles. Here's what I want us to realize. We'll say it this way. In a world where everyone's attention was on Jerusalem... God showed up in Galilee. God is often where he is least expected. The Jews thought there was one story being written. It was the story in the headlines. It was the story they were hearing in synagogue. Sabbath after Sabbath. Oh, God would do a mighty work. The Romans would be removed. Jerusalem would be the light of the world. And yet, here God shows up in the land of the Gentiles in a very small little town, to a girl who had no fame, no notoriety, and no resources. This is what God does. There was a different story being written, and no one knew it. Everyone was paying attention to the headlines. God was up to something different. Now, I want to be very careful if we took a theological side note. There is something about Jerusalem, there is something about Israel that Paul can't let go of. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. There is something still, there is something still in play with Israel. There is something important about Jerusalem. I don't have that all worked out. But Paul entertains that conversation in Romans 9 through 11. He gets to the end of Romans 11 and says, therefore all of Israel will be saved. Now, I don't know what that means for our day, but I want us to be careful that in the middle of a sermon like this, we don't just write off Israel and Jerusalem. Something is still connected with the promises of God. I don't know all the details, but I know Paul thinks it's very important. Maybe one day we'll explore all that. But for right now, I just want to take a side, a, a side detour and note, there's a lot going on with Jerusalem and Israel in the Scriptures. All right, we'll come back. But for our story, Christmas tells us there is often something different going on than what we can see. And that is where we find application. Here's where I want to go. Here's where I want to go for some application, taking just those, those bundle of scriptures, boil it down right here. God is with you and I where we are. He cannot be with us where we are not. God is with you and me where we are. He cannot be with us where we are not. This is very simple. God cannot be with you in your kitchen if you're sitting on a pew. God cannot be with you at church if you are at home. God can only be with you where you are. This is very important to remember. Because in a world of social media, in a world of cable news, in a world of everything being important and breaking, we have the subconscious or the unconscious training that it's the things out there that are really important. Some people live vicariously. They live other people's lives through their social media feed. They live in the well-decorated house 
of someone else while they are disconnected and distant in a home with kids running around. We have this, this, this tendency, if well trained, to think that what is happening in China is somehow more important than what's happening around your kitchen table. We have been well trained to think that the things that are big and flashy, the things that pop up as a notification, those are really the important things. Can you imagine if you got a notification on your phone every time something that was actually important in your life happened? Can you imagine what would happen if a notification popped up on your phone when your kid was crying in front of you? And then finally it signaled that it's important. Wouldn't that be something? Imagine there may be some developer out there that will develop an app like that because we've become so distracted. Or if a notification pops up, hey, your spouse is talking to you. Wouldn't that be something? Like you're so consumed it took a notification to get your attention when they're right here. You see, we've been so well trained to think what is flashy and big and expensive or what, what is really important. That's the Jerusalem tendency. To think that the big story has to happen over there when God is with you right where you are. You know, one of my favorite sayings that comes from the grandma of a, one of our firefighters in town. She probably picked it up from somewhere else. We must be where our feet are. You know you can't be where your feet are? I mean you, right? Now, I know digitally you can be somewhere else. But your body, your whole being can only be where your feet are. It's a good principle, and so we remember that. So let's summarize that here. I want to say it this way. We remember that God doesn't just live in Jerusalem. He's in Galilee, too. He sends the son of the baby born in a small town, which means he's present in our everyday small stuff, too. You know, when you open the refrigerator, God is with you. You know, when you open your computer, God is with you. You know, when you go to the bathroom, God is with you. I hope that's not too much impropriety. But I imagine we all have that experience every day. That's part of who you are. You take your phones with you. I should be able to talk about it on some stage. You get the point everywhere where you are. God is with you. So there's nothing too small in your life where God is absent. He is with you. So we have to be very careful to stop thinking that what is really important is all that is flashy, expensive, and breaking news. The things right where you are, that's where God is. It's a very important message in our day. You watch the news, you will get consumed and think coronavirus will overtake the world. Is it having a deep impact on our world? Yes. Yes, it is. Is it impacting a lot of people? Yes. Yes, it is. Are there some people it's really not touching? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Is there life going on beyond coronavirus? Yes. Yes, there is. You watch the news all the time, you might not think that happened. Did you know that there are other things going on in the world than, than the transition for President-elect Joe Biden? Did you know that there's other things going on in the world? There really are. Did you know that the Yates family put up their Christmas tree? Do you know that? That's right. That's right. I didn't know I'd get a clap. I'll do that every year. That's good. Okay. That was important. I took up more time of my day than I thought it would. I even had an outlet. Did you know this? I had an outlet that sparked, and instead of keeping the sparked outlet... Having a fire start, call our fire department, I changed the outlet out. Did you know that? That's right. 
Did you know I had an opportunity to get really frustrated with my kids and train my soul in the direction of anger because I couldn't figure something out? Did you know that? No, you didn't. Now you do. Should have put a notification on your phone. You can follow me on Facebook. My hashtag, no, I'm just joking. All right. You get this point. So what I want to do is I want to take that then. I want to make it practical for religious people also. We have this tendency to think that it's only in the church building God lives. You ever said something like or heard someone say, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. I'm in the church. I'm in a church building. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you, if, if you gossip outside the church building, it's just as bad as if you do it in this room. Okay? It's not like God only lives here. And you can't do it here, but you can go outside, just outside the door, and you're fine. And if you're legalistic, you may, you might think the whole property's holy. But if you just get over one street, you're fine. Right? This building is holy because we have set it aside as a place where we worship God. But that can come very close to thinking that this is the only place God lives. We need to be very careful. This gives people excuses to be look really good right here, but they do whatever they want when they're in their bedroom. Your bedroom is also holy because that's where you are. That's where God is. So I just want us to check the tendency to turn this building into a high holy place where only certain things can happen and other things can't. If you, if you think that getting drunk is a problem, it's a problem in this room, and it's a problem at the bar. Does this make sense? Okay. That's for us religious people. All right, let's take it down on the ground for a next step. That's something we can do this week. Tell God thank you when you eat anything this week. And remember, He is with you. That's what we do. Now, I will be taping this thing we call Take Two. This is a summary of our sermon that I do every week, and we post it on YouTube and Facebook. Right at the end this week of the script uh, that, that, that I use when doing that, I, I, I say, even when snacking. Now, I say that because that's where I'm going to have some trouble. Because you know how easy it is to snack? You get this? Particularly in the COVID world, where you're at home more, it is easy to eat and eat and eat. Well, what my challenge is, is to say thank you every time you go into your snacking. I'm not trying to stop your snacking. What tyrant would do that? What I'm suggesting is that you remember God when you do that. And the goal of all of that is not even to change your behavior with eating. It is to make you conscious that God is with you. So if you pull out the Doritos, and you start eating, say, thank you, God, for these Doritos. And you know who will come to your mind as you start eating? God. And God is with you when you eat your Doritos. So let this be something you train with this week. Say thank you when you eat anything. And that will give you the awareness that God is with you even in the small stuff. The world will teach you that, that the important things are only out there. They're only what is moving through your social media feed. It is only what is expensive, big, and flashy. What I'm saying is the Christmas story teaches you and me that God is with you when you put a foot on the floor getting out of bed. 
He is with you when you open the refrigerator. He's with you when you're bored and frustrated. He is with you. He is with you when you are sick and you're hurting or you're scared. Or you walk into the doctor's office and you don't know what the doctor's going to tell you. He is with you. He will take care of you. That is a different story than we're being told. It's one that we need to remember this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge you are with us. You are with us right here. You are with us with our family and friends at home who are not with us. You are with us when we leave this building. We thank you for not forsaking us. So carry us in our boredom and our joy and our pain and our frustration and in our pleasure. Would you be with us? And we remember that you are not just out there doing something big. We're writing a different story right where we are. And we thank you. And now we pray your guidance and mercy over the rest of the week. Forgive us where we have failed and where we have left things undone. We thank you for your mercy. We sure do need it. We'll need it today. And then train us to forgive those who have hurt us. We pray all of that in the name of